0: Dragnet The Jack Benny Program I'm that man Matt Dillon, United States Marshal George Burns and Gracie Allen Good evening, friends of Vienna Sanctum We offer you
1: Escape Follow Miss Brooks Suspense Richard Diamond, Private Detective Fibber McGee and Molly The Great Gildersleeve yeah. Radio Theater In the Air
2: Dedicated to man's imagination. The theater of the mind.
3: You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. A the special three-hour presentation with
4: Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, it's about six minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari, and this is program 402 in the series, Lisa Wolf. Yeah, Miss it's 4-0-2 or 402, you know. It's four oh two. I think it's four zero two. And it's July seventh, and uh we're back here. We're I feel like we're still here. Did we ever leave? Yes, we left we did. for a little while, okay. yes. Um but we're back and we have a terrific episode of uh, Philip Marlowe from nineteen forty nine, the August Lion, starring Gerald Moore then. It'll be Information Please. Now, we had to switch out the show. The program we were going to play on Information Please was from 1939, but we have a 1938 episode from July 5th, to be exact, because there were some technical issues with that other show. We didn't want to air it, so um, we have a really good quality one coming your way in Hour 2. But we'll be here till 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to start things off with our game, is it real or is it ridiculous? Sponsored by Cats Pride. Yes,
5: the celebrity is Will Smith. And I have
4: heard of him.
5: Good, that's a good start. And we are going to give away.
4: I a- did not uh, grow up under a rock. I did hear of him before. Are I think I, I think I put two two. Uh, metaphors together there. Grew up under a rock. Is that how it is? No.
5: I'm not even listening because I was trying to say something. So okay, I'm just going to wait till you
4: say what you want to okay. say.
5: So we're going to You gonna are be...
4: the co-host. You can say whatever you want to say. Wait. A...
5: Are you done? Okay. It's I'm babbly done. tonight. Roger Banish
4: is in here. What microphone are you He's... on? Five?
5: That's six. six.
4: That's six? Here you go. Is that one more than five? I'm enjoying the entertainment. You guys
5: oh. You guys keep <laughs> arguing.
4: How's it going, Roger?
5: Just keep... I'm...
4: He's doing good. Up. All right. So, uh, what now? What? Yes. Yes. Go what ahead. I was
5: going to say, if right. you could be quiet just for like 10 seconds, I'm good to go.
4: 2001.
5: Okay. So, we're going to give away a pair of tickets to Over the Tavern at Theater at the Center in Munster, Indiana. Oh, great. You did it. Yeah.
4: Very good. Good. I got it in what there. What caller would you like? We're going
5: to go with caller number five. You can call right now, 312 981 7200. Caller number five. We'll be right back.
6: Come home, baby. Let's
4: Let's get ridiculous. Here's
6: All right,
5: Lisa. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Oh good. my gosh, I don't, two Lisas. I don't think
4: oh my. we've ever
5: had we a haven't. Lisa on the phone line the with time. me ever since hi, I started at WGN. Lisa, hey, hi. hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> this is a big moment ever, for
4: us. <laughs> ever uh, co hosted a radio show? Because I'm uh, looking for a new might Lisa. Might be looking for a new Lisa. I'd love to. I'd love to. Send in your resume. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to do a little Will Smith
5: uh, number. Roger, do you want to join in? I'd love to have you. Okay. You'll be number two. Lisa's number one. Okay. Number one. Um, His real name is Willard Carroll Smith. Real or ridiculous? Real. Roger?
7: Mm. Um. I'm going to go
4: ridiculous.
5: I'm going ridiculous. Well, you should listen to your listeners because she is absolutely right.
4: Wow. Way to go. Here's for Lisa. And here's for Roger and me.
5: All right. Well, we're off to a good start, Lisa. Number two, Jada Pinkett Smith first met him when he was a rapper. Real or ridiculous? Real.
4: Yeah, I'll go real. I'm going real.
5: Yeah. Well, this time you should not listen yes, to Lisa. Was...
4: <laughs> Is it just me or am I really stupid? Okay, but
5: she, no, I'll tell you. I had the same answer.
4: <laughs> we both are not too smart. I just kind of
5: made that up. She actually <sighs> met him when she auditioned to be on the Fresh Prince. Oh, yeah. But she didn't get the part.
4: Wow, really? Yet
5: they had some chemistry. Uh, wow. Apparently. Interesting. Apparently. <laughs> uh, okay, number three. He became the very first hip-hop artist artist to be nominated for an oscar real or ridiculous
6: hmm.
4: ridiculous huh. i say real i what? can't hear you roger <laughs>
5: i'm
4: gonna i'm gonna agree with that i say, i think you it's real i think it's real
5: it is real yeah. that is absolutely correct so yeah. we right. learned something so here. this is for lisa <laughs> oh.
4: and this is for you and me roger right no. you got it right roger <laughs>
5: You know how this works, right? Lisa got two right
4: and only one wrong, I think.
5: You know how this works, right, Lisa? Yes, I do. You're, you're the winner. And you are going to And you see, are the new
4: co-host and of you w- are the new co-host. Radio Theater.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know what? You can gladly have the job, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> it
4: pays
6: huge.
5: And you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> so, it's been great working with you guys. Yeah, nice um, knowing you, Lisa. Uh, anyways, you've won two tickets to Over the Tavern at Theater at the Center in Munster, Indiana. It's running through August 11th. You can call 219 836 3255 for tickets or visit theater at the center.com. But you um, will be seeing the show Two tickets. I hope you have a great time. I've actually never seen this show. So um, people absolutely are raving about it. So I hope you you enjoy it as well.
6: I appreciate that so much. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much.
4: Take care. Finally, I met a Lisa that doesn't uh, you know doesn't
5: what Carl? Be careful what you say. <laughs> isn't mean
4: to me, right, what? Roger? She's so mean to me, Lisa, Roger, no, just so Roger. Mean. No, she's not. Thank Always you. Always being she's very mean nice. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a tough childhood. Carl's crying. Don't forget, I was Carl's in a crying. I was in a a basement. My whole childhood. I can
5: tell you've been Collecting locked up. Classic radio in shows. the closet. Your mom them. threw like breadcrumbs in the there, closet. There, you know.
4: She did. She <laughs> gave me breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs. Uh, Red crumbs <laughs> underneath the door. Yeah.
5: Okay, well, luckily
4: you escaped from that <laughs> place. And because we were Italian, she cooked pasta a lot. Sundays was pasta. Did she she push, let me out of the basement on Sundays. A string, a string of pasta one at a time through the door? No, on get... Sundays she let she me let out, out of the basement oh, and we had pasta Sunday. You were Sunday. listening. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the week, basement. Basement. basement.
5: Close the door. Cool. Well, you know what? I don't blame her. I think I have done the same thing.
6: <laughs>
4: <laughs> 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 uh, the night.
5: Rosalie, we're on the same page here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Oh, That's what was a good detective series, boy. This was like one of the best detective series, yeah, right, Roger? Very good, very good. Um, yeah. Gerald Moore played uh, the uh, tough guy Philip Marlowe, Private Eye. Yeah. Created by Raymond Chandler. That's um, why it's excellent writing. You know, The Big Sleep, remember that film? Um, I I believe Humphrey Bogart was in Mm -hmm. that film. Um, On radio, there was uh, two actors that played Philip Marlowe. First was Van Heflin for just one summer season on NBC. And and then Gerald Moore took over on CBS. And in 1949, believe it or not, Uh this series had the largest Radio audience of any radio show, be wow. Jack Benny, yeah. beat uh, The Suspense, all the other shows. Philip Marlowe, number one. Um, on television, it was on TV for two years. Philip Carey played the role from 1959 through 1960. And then there was a tremendous HBO series. Uh, called The Adventures of Philip Marlowe that Powers Booth starred in. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, no, but if you haven't, up. you should go on demand HBO. and watch it. Okay. It was set, period. It was in the 30s. It had all the great cars. It mm-hmm. was a really high-budget, mm-hmm. top-quality series. Uh, Philip Marlowe with Powers great. Booth, who was a great actor yeah. uh, and recently passed away. All right, we have an episode now, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, called The August Lion. It's going back to August 6, 1949, part one now of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe.
7: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or the grave. It started with death on my doorstep and got worse when I lied to a sympathetic bull. Was pistol whipped by a gorilla with dimples and fought with a kitten on the keys. And it might have gone on that way all night
0: if I hadn't been helped by the king of the beasts. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The August Lion.
7: one of those in-between hours, along about ten on a night at home when you don't quite know what to do with yourself. Then all of a sudden it's eleven, and then eleven-thirty, and you're in slippers and a robe and have done nothing, (laughs) which is exactly where I was, except that I'd already decided on one, and only one, very dry martini, a quiet cigarette, and bed, when it came loud, insistent, and unwelcome. No improvement when I opened up. Saw less than five hey. feet of excited cab hey. driver jumping up hey, and down. Hey, mister.
8: mister, you Doc Marlowe? Yeah,
7: I'm do- Doc Marlowe.
8: That's right. Here he comes with a doc. You better make room. Is the sofa there okay? I'll clear it off. Oh, wait
7: a minute, Jack. Who comes? Who?
8: Okay, Mister. Bring her on in. The doc's here, all right. Hey,
9: Doc, she's stiff. She's out like a light. Who? The babe. Who do you think? Sure too
3: bad some people can't drink, huh, Doc?
7: Yeah, it's real tough. Now tell me, do you... Hello, Phil. Judson Angel.
9: I'm sorry to bust in on you this way. Is the sofa all right?
7: No, it's stuffed with granite. Put her in the bedroom.
3: Okay, will you take
8: care of the driver, please?
9: Yeah, yeah. How much, friend? Well, uh, only 80 cents on a meter, Doc.
7: A couple of bucks ought to cover it here. Good night.
8: Good night, Diamond Jim.
9: Well, Phil, I guess I'd better explain all this. Uh Uh-huh. Here, I haven't seen you in six months, and when I do... Never come, mind I'm the details, Judd boy. Let's talk about the problem. Who's the girl? Her name's Voss. Eileen Voss. She's kind of a stockbroker. Maybe speculator's a better term. You know, takes big chances with other people's money. I was in love with her, Phil, until tonight. When what happened? When I found out I was just one of many, it, it threw me, Phil. I really lost my temper. I swore I'd kill her on sight.
7: Yeah, most guys do it at a time like that, Judd. And by the way, while we're talking, I'll put on some coffee, no? No. No, don't, Phil. Why not?
9: Because it can't help. She had a shot too many, all right? Only this one's a bullet in her head. She's dead. Oh, fine. Now, Phil, listen, please. You've got to help me. I've got to find out who did it. Phil, it started a couple of hours ago when I found out she'd been playing me for a sucker. I went to her place the first time in a week, boiling mad. The door was
7: open... Jetson's angel's eyes never left my face as he told the story from the beginning. A girl's body on the couch when he walked in a neat hole in the back of her head... The gun he knew she owned shoved under a pillow. Then in the next second, before he could even look in the other rooms, the arrival of the cabby, somebody called who thought Eileen was just another drunk who had to be shown the way to go home. How he seized on that as an opportunity to keep from being placed at the scene of the murder he had every reason to commit. How minutes after he was in the cab he realized he was near my place. How to avoid suspicion he said I was a doctor. Everything except why specifically he was so afraid of the police. I knew that was going to be next.
9: Now, Phil, I suppose you want to know why I couldn't, couldn't possibly call the police? Yeah, that's right. Why? Because I'd surely be booked and fingerprinted. And that'd ruin me. You see, a long time ago, I served time in the state penitentiary in Illinois. What? Yes, yes. So I've kept it quiet. Only Phoebe Hammond in my office knows. It was for forgery, Phil. It was under another name and way back when I didn't know the difference between clever business and crooked business. Mm. It's taken ten years to work up my reputation as an accountant. So you see, if I get mixed up in this, it'll all come out and... Well, smash. Lots of pieces. No more. Oh, you've got to help me, Phil. You've got to find the real killer before the police get to me. Please, Phil. I can't, Judd.
7: It'd be smashing just as many little pieces for me, too, if I tried to pull anything like this on homicide. No, I'm sorry, Judd. I've got to report this body.
9: But, Phil, look. What if you do report the body, but you say that you don't know anything about it, that you're going out to find what you can? What about that, Phil? Oh, please. Please, Phil.
7: Okay. What's the girl's address?
9: 91 Hollycrest Drive. 91 Hollycrest Yeah, the, Drive. the door wasn't locked, Phil. Mm-hmm.
7: Your phone number, Judd? Gladstone 3926. 3926. I won't move out of my
9: place until I hear from you.
7: Now, make sure you don't, Judd. Because if I can't find the real killer, I've got to tell what I know about you. You understand that, don't you? <laughs> When Angel left, I called Detective Lieutenant Matthews to police headquarters and lied that there was a corpse in my apartment about which I knew nothing, and that I was on my way out to see what I could find. Then I hung up fast, not feeling very good. Twenty minutes later, when I was in the plush living room at 91 Hollycrest Drive, I had zero to go on, until I got to the bedroom where, caught in the folds of lace at the bottom of a petticoated vanity, I found a piece of male jewelry that stood out against that backdrop like Argyle's socks on a turtle was a gold tie clasp ornamented with the figure of a lion, a little more majestic than most. I dropped it into my pocket and then moved out into a long hall that led to the kitchen. I was about to start toted when he spoke. Don't move, buddy. Like the voice, he was thick and soft, especially in the middle where he was girdled in double-breasted gray flannel. So I couldn't tell whether he was plus or minus a tie clasp. Also, he had no hair. And a pair of deep dimples that danced when he talked. A gun in his hand
2: didn't. Okay, turn around. Let's go back to the living room, buddy. I want to ask you a few questions. Like why you're taking inventory here.
7: Well, it's my job. You see, I'm an auctioneer. The lady of the house won't need this stuff anymore. She's not going to...
2: Now stop where you are. And don't turn around. Okay, where's the girl? Come on, come on, where is she? Out.
7: And only if you'll tell me why you want to know, will I tell you where. You see, that way I come out even. and yeah, maybe.
2: Lyleen well, Voss owes me money, buddy, and I want it now before she's flat broke. Now you, where is she? On her way to the morgue, like you don't know. Well, what do you mean by that I didn't kill her? Honest, engine. Listen, you. Get this straight. I came into this place just now for one reason only. To check on the Voss girl and make sure she wasn't on her way out of town, bag and baggage in hand, and my 50 grand. Now, don't forget that. I'll try not to. And don't move. Hello. Uh, no. No, she's not here. She, uh, Judy? Yeah. yeah. it's me, honey. No, no, she's, um... She's out. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you about it later, at, at, at the club. Yeah. Right, Judy. So long. Now, where were we, buddy? In the middle of a big, fat lie, your reason for being here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where we were. And you know, that's a good old <coughs> place to leave it. <coughs> ah! oh, buddy. When, when the
7: twin telephones, lamps, and end tables next to me got back to being one of each again, I saw the note next to the phone that said... Call Monday at the garden room, which didn't add to much until I realized that Monday was spelled not as the day in the week, but M U N D Y, and recall that the garden room was a cozy collection of crepe paper flowers where some people did their serious drinking. That plus dancing dimples, telling a girl named Judy who had called for Eileen in the first place that he'd meet her at the club was a little better than the zero plus tie class I'd been working with. And a half hour later, that little became a lot, and things started to dovetail because a placard under glass in front of the garden room bragged about the glamour pianist featured inside, whose name was First Judy, Second Monday, not his day in the week. I blessed my good luck, exchanged smiles only with a hatchet girl in the lobby, and found a table for one inside, not more than a half a dozen octaves away from Miss Monday's left hand. I'd ordered a drink and had a cigarette going before she paid any attention to me.
10: I'll play anything you want. It's a rule of the house. Just name it, or hum it, or whistle, but don't croon. That's also a rule of the house. What'll it be? How
7: about the number you always play for that fat friend of yours? You know the one with the deep dimples? Berleffy? (laughs) Hmm.
10: Sure. It's kind of corny. Remember it? Yeah. You a friend of his? Not exactly. I didn't think so. He'd crown you if he heard you say dimples. He's sensitive. You're new here, aren't you? I've
7: been in once or twice. Mutual friend of ours used to speak well of you. Eileen Voss.
10: But made a change of mind.
7: She was murdered tonight. Any idea who did it? I said any... I heard
10: you. No, mister, I haven't got the slightest idea. There, that's the end of your request. Sorry, but I'm only allowed one to a customer. It's a rule of of the
7: house, I know, yeah. I'll see you, Judy.
6: Hello?
7: This is Marlowe, Angel. Oh,
9: Oh, Phil, where are you? What have you found out?
7: In that order, I'm in a phone booth at a club called The Garden Room. What I've found out so far won't impress Detective Lieutenant Matthews of the Homicide Squad at all when next we meet. But
9: nothing in the apartment? No lead of any kind?
7: I'm not sure, Judd. I ran into a round man with a sleek gun who piled me up and left before very much was said.
9: But, fill the garden room, the girl there's a friend of Eileen's. Talk to her.
7: Yeah, yeah, I already did, Judd. Got me the round man's name and no more. It was Berleffy. You mean anything? Berleffy? Yeah. Berleffi.
9: A fat guy with dimples and no hair?
7: That's right. He claimed Eileen had 50 grand that belonged to him.
9: Yeah, that must be... Oh? Yes, he's a gray marketeer, comes from San Francisco. I've never seen him but the girl in my office, Phoebe Hammond, can help us. Mm -hmm. She once did some auditing work for Berger when she found out how crooked he was. She told me about him. I'll call her and have her meet you there, Phil. All right,
7: but look, I'll be at a corner table facing the door and tell her to hurry, will you? I'll call you back later. Goodbye.
4: All right, that's the first portion of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe with the August Lion, Gerald Moore. Um, you know, this show, as you can hear, it's high production values. It was the full orchestra, great writing, great producer in uh, Norman MacDonald, who also brought us Gunsmoke, great uh, great actor in Gerald Moore. Um, and you hear the quality, and maybe that's why it had the largest listening audience, because it was such a top-quality show uh with uh, raymond chandler obviously the creator of the character um this was a you know this was like sort of like um the equivalent of suspense or you know in that genre or Lux theater in the in the movie genre this was the top detective show on the air sam spade another one where they had the full orchestra and philip marlowe is a regular on our Classic Radio Club. It's uh, I always I, I pick ten shows every month, as you know, Roger, mm-hmm. being a Classic Radio Club member and Lisa. Every single month, I choose ten shows, and I always look at what are the top shows, what's the best quality, who are the best actors, best directing, best writing. Um, this month in the July in the July, there's uh, we we put a uh, a, a tremendous a, a tremendous episode of suspense. Zero Hour. Are you familiar with that episode of suspense?
3: Zero Hour. No, yeah,
4: not. Ray Bradbury wrote it. Oh, one of the goodness. I I knew Ray Bradbury. We worked together. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Tremendous man. Such a great guy. And he wrote so many sci-fi stories. But that one, it's not his most famous one. His most famous, obviously, is Mars is Heaven or Martian Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Zero Hour, which is in the July batch of shows, is. In my opinion, one of the scariest and most interesting sci-fi stories ever written. So that's what I do. I go through this collection of 100,000 master recordings and, um, and send 10 of these every month to our members. Classic Radio Club members. And uh, Philip Marlowe is is on there a lot. You can get these shows via digital download every month, or you can get them on five CDs, and they're always different shows every month. Mm -hmm. You'll never get a duplicate show. There's never anything edited out of them. And we have a $1 for the first month fee. It's only $1 the first month, and it's Mm -hmm. not a club where you join and you're hooked into it. If you don't want to continue as part of the club, you can cancel at any time. So learn all about it. Join the club like so many of your fellow listeners. Go to classicradioclub.com. You can join the digital membership or the CD membership. And the first month's only $1. Classicradioclub.com. We'll be back in exactly 31 seconds.
3: Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf.
4: Well, we're uh, in the midst of listening to a very good episode, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from August 6, 1949, called The August Lion with Gerald Moore. Here is the conclusion.
7: It was exactly 1 o'clock when what was at least 3 parts CPA to each part woman pushed the front door out of a way and ended. At the top, there was close-cropped hair streaked with some gray, no hat. At the bottom, dark brown stockings running into darker brown shoes, no heels in between severely tailored tweed closed tight at the neckline. It took all of 15 efficient seconds to decide that I was her man. And less than that again to introduce herself, ask for a cigarette and name her drink. When it was my turn to talk, I brought her up to date. Eileen Boss's murder included.
8: It's too bad, Marlowe. Judd's a great guy.
7: Yeah.
8: It was only lunch today that he was knocking himself out trying to figure what would be 4-0 for my birthday next week. <laughs> now this. Tell me, what can I do to help
7: Well, at the moment, Burleffi. All I know about him, Miss Hammond, aside from what I've told you, he said at Eileen's, is that he and Judy Mundy are
8: a team. And Judy was a friend of Eileen's. (laughs) How cozy, isn't it? Well, it goes like this. Berleffy's front name is Steve, and he's Hmm. out of San Francisco via Detroit and Chicago. And in each case, only a length of a subpoena ahead of the law. Oh? Back in the 30s, he was a mobster. The numbers game, protection racket, that kind of stuff. But after the war, he cashed in all his chips and went into a more or less legitimate business. With, of course, absolutely no change in tactics. Know what you mean. Now look, can you tell me where he lives? No. But I'll bet my bottom dollar that the kitten on the keys here can. Mm. Only be careful. But Lefty has a reputation for shooting first and talking later. I only hope he isn't after Judd, too. You know... There might be some connection between them that goes back to the days when Judd was Francis Lyon and was. Phoebe, did you just say Francis Lyon? That's right. L-Y-O-N. Uh-huh. Judson angel is the name he took when he came out here. Why? What does that mean?
7: I don't know. Here, look at this tie clasp. Huh? The ornament. It's also a lion. I found it in the bedroom at Eileen's place, and yet Judd told me that he hadn't gone past the living room.
8: But... But, Marlowe, that doesn't prove that Judd lied. Why, it might not be his at all.
7: Have mm. you ever seen it before?
8: No, I haven't. Besides, I never knew Judd to wear a tie class.
7: Okay. Could belong to Baleffi. But it's still worth checking after we get Judd out of his apartment. Look, where's your place, Phoebe?
8: Mulholland Drive, 361 North.
7: 361.
8: About a mile up into the hills.
7: I'll let you do the trick. Honey, you go home and stay close to the fireside. I'll get a hold of Judd and tell him to get over there fast. And then maybe we... We can...
8: Maybe we can what? What is it, Marlon?
7: Outside, Phoebe, it's a man coming this way. But let me... Worse. Goodbye, baby. I'll see you later at your place. I've been afraid of this all night. But
8: who is it? What's his name?
7: Detective Lieutenant Matthews. He's a police officer, Phoebe. First, last, and always. So long. When I left Phoebe Hammond at the table and moved toward the bar, my first impulse was run, do not walk. This is a different kind of an emergency. But a quick glance into the mirror behind me tagged that as suicide and push try nonchalance into its place. Because I could see that Detective Lieutenant Matthews had already spotted me. When he was closer, I could also see that nonchalance would go over like uh, punching him in the nose on the steps of city hall.
3: All right, Phil, that little game is over. Now let's have it straight and fast. Who are you working for? And don't bother with the pitch on professional ethics. We'll try this all over again down at headquarters. His name,
7: what is it, Phil? Judson Angel, he's a friend. Yeah. Who was what to the corpse? He was in love with her, but he didn't kill her. Oh. Now look, Matthews, I've never held out on you before, have I? Which means you want to start now, huh? What are you getting at, Phil? My client's in a jam, Lieutenant. He didn't kill the girl, but unless I can find out who did, he's an eyebrow deep in a mess that doesn't even concern him.
3: Which has what to do with you playing bashful tipster on the phone with the body being in your bedroom and Marlowe starring like a one-man police force? Will you listen? Come on, Phil. I've been an hour and a half just finding, and i level. Why is this Judson Angel in a jam if he didn't do it? Okay, okay, we'll try it on like.
7: He once did time in another state, under another name, way back when he had less sense. Ah. If he's booked and fingerprinted, it'll be splashed all over the papers, he'll be ruined.
3: Why? What's his business?
7: Well, today it's accountancy, and then it was forgery. Oh. You can see that side by side, they don't make a very handsome couple. Now, come on, Matthews, give the guy a break, will you? Take my word, he deserves it. What do you want me to do? Give me some time. If I don't have the answers, I'm out of luck, and so is Judson Angel. Please, Matthews.
3: All right, all right, Phil, all right. Sixty minutes. Uh -uh. And if I don't hear from you, by ten after two, we start all over again. Down in headquarters, your client included. I'll be waiting for your call, Phil. Good night.
7: Detective Lieutenant Matthews was nobody's keystone cop, and I knew that when he said 60, count them, 60 minutes, he meant just that and no more. So I found a nice and public phone booth at a gas station across the street, and while I kept one eye out for Berleffi and Associates, I dialed Judson Angel's number. But in the next second, when I was through to him, I knew that I could forget about Berleffi on my end.
9: Phil, I'm in trouble here, outside a man and woman. They're coming up the walk now.
7: He's fat and gray flannel?
9: Yes, yes. She just pulled up in a cab, but he's been out there 20 minutes watching the place. Berleffi, listen,
7: Judd, get out the back way. Get over to Phoebe's place.
9: Uh, he's out the door now, Phil. He's kicking it in. Phil, Phil, get up here. 21
7: South Orange Lane. John, do as I say, will you? Get out. Get to Phoebe's place on Mulholland Drive. I'll see you there. Hurry. All
9: right, Marlowe. All right. Marlowe, he's in! John! Put that phone down, Angel, or I'll kill you. Now!
7: When I screeched to a top at number 21 South Orange Lane, which was lights out, front door open, and no car parked in sight, I went inside... Just visible in the moonlight was the huddled figure I'd been afraid I'd find. What I didn't know until I was kneeling next to it was that it was Judy Monday, not my client, and only unconscious, not dead. There was a large white envelope lying next to her, and beyond that, a litter of broken porcelain that had once been a lamp. I switched on a light, found some brandy, and then brought it to oh. as fast as I could. Oh,
10: uh. Marlo. Yeah,
7: And with a brand new request, here, take a drink. Uh. Now, I'll ask the questions. One, what happened here with the three of you? Where's Berleffi and, more important, Judd Angel? Come on, baby, talk fast. All
10: right. I think Angel got away. I don't know where he is. Berleffi? Dead, I hope. I got him to thank for that lamp getting together with my head. How come? Angel made a break for it, kicked out the lights and tossed a lamp at the same time. Hero Berleffi used me for a shield and took off after him.
7: Mm. Your connection with both Berleffi and Eileen Voss, what was it?
10: I forget. Come
7: on, Judy, baby, talk. You're not going to get another chance this side of the witness box.
10: Witness... witness box? What for?
7: Your girlfriend's murder, trial by jury, an old Yankee tradition, you I remember?
10: Wait a minute, I didn't have anything to do with Eileen getting killed. They can't tie that onto me. They
7: can try. Now, what'll it be?
10: It'll be... It'll be what you want. That's better. I only got chummy with Eileen in the last month, Marlowe, because Berleffi told me to. He was my boyfriend.
7: Hooray for love. Go on. What was in it for Berleffi? He
10: wanted to know where Eileen got her tips on the market. That way he could keep paying her any commission.
7: Figures. What went wrong?
6: Nothing.
10: Only instead of finding out how well she knew who, I discovered she was going broke, period. The rest of it, you, Eileen, being dead, that muscle woman you talked to in the bar, all the time. Wait a minute, wait a
7: minute, wait a minute. What about that girl in the bar? You two get together?
10: Oh, not for very long. Hmm. After you left the table, she went outside, so I followed Why? Because the cow jumped over the moon. Why do you think? I was still working for Balefe, remember? I thought it would help if he knew where she fit in. What did it get you? A slap in the face. That said she was raised on barbells. And this envelope here that fell out of her pocket. Oh? Don't get excited about it. It's only one of those horoscope charts.
7: What do you do? Collect them as a hobby?
10: When there are notes on the back, yeah. However, for a friend, Balefe was unimpressed. Yeah, look yourself. It's double talk.
7: Mm. Cost less 10%. 90 days, will you say? Yeah, strictly a CPA's margin, though. It doesn't mean it you owe.
10: Marlo, your mouth's open. What is it? You look dumb.
7: Dumb I am, and have been all night. Sweetheart, in your own clumsy way, you may have saved Judson Angel's life.
10: What are you talking about, Marlo?
7: According to this horoscope, it's written in the stars. Maybe I'll make a good cop happy. Goodbye, sweets. <laughs> Holland Drive is a fancy collection of hairpin turns and deceptive curves along the top of a mountain that separates Hollywood and Beverly Hills from the San Fernando Valley. But when I was on it and burning up good rubber at each bend as I headed for number 361 North, gas pedal on the floor, driving conditions were the least of my worries. And it wasn't until I had parked away from the bungalow that perched on the edge of a cliff and was out of my car, 38 in hand and close to a half-open French window, that I breathed a long, long sigh of relief, because then I could clearly see that Judson Angel was still alive. I swallowed the sigh fast when I could also see Angel's face. It said there was nothing permanent about his good health, because on the other side of the room, and only visible to me via a corner mirror was the reason why. Holding on tight to a short, ugly revolver was the one the horoscope had said could be Eileen Voss's killer, the CPA known as Phoebe Hammond.
8: Me, While
7: I'm she sorry. talked, I moved around I'm to where I'd be able sorry. to take aim in one straight line.
8: I didn't want to kill Eileen in the first place. It was an accident. I don't believe you. It doesn't matter now. You see, I'd invested some money with her, Judd. Money that wasn't mine. When I found out she was going broke, I went up to see her and demanded it back. She laughed at me. I got mad. I hit her. She took out a gun and said she'd call the police if I didn't leave. I grabbed it away from her. Then I shot her.
9: Then you were there when I came in?
8: yes when I saw you and that cab driver she'd called earlier take the body out, I didn't know what to do. Until later, when I met with Marlowe on your behalf and learned all about Baleffi and the tie clasp he he'd found. The tie clasp with the lion on it that you'd recognize as mine if Marlowe ever got the chance to show it to you. But he won't, Judd. I can't let him.
9: Phoebe, Phoebe, you're crazy. You're crazy. You'll never get away with this. Oh, yes,
8: I will, Judd. It'll be Baleffi they'll blame. He entered your room with a gun in his hand. I know. I saw him and that girl... Also, Judd, I'm the reason you got away from him. I rammed into his car when he started after you.
9: It's too bad, Judd.
7: Worse than that, Phoebe. It's a crying shame.
9: Marlo! Mar- Mar- ah! The lights! The lights! Stop, Phil! She can see your silhouette!
7: I can follow her footsteps. We're even.
9: Phil, the terrace. She's trying to get away. There she is outside. She tripped Phil. The rail! Ah! Holy smoke. Phil, it's a, it's a good 200 feet down. Just solid rock.
7: Yeah. Run away from it, Judd. Time we made a phone call. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, and we were still on top of the mountain before the police had found the broken body of Phoebe Hammond. And had been picked up and, in lieu of anything better, booked for breaking and entering Eileen Voss's place. When the parade of law, press, and just curious who always show up at the scene of a murder had finally left, it made it just me and Judd and a cop named Matthews.
3: Well, let me see if I got this straight for the records, Phil. First, you thought it was a tough called Berleffi. And second, you were afraid you'd been a sucker and it was really your claim? And finally you figured it had to be a woman who all the way looked like she was no more than along for the ride. Hmm? What? You mean you really believe I could have done it, Phil?
7: Well, yeah, it, it looked that way for a while, Judd. You know, you said you hadn't been past the living room up at Eileen's, and yet I found a tie clasp in the bedroom there ornamented with a lion. And then I found out your real name was also lying. It almost added.
3: Yeah, but since you didn't have a chance to find out whether or not Berleffi was missing in tie Clasp, you still consider that was only circumstantial evidence, am I right? Right, yeah. yeah.
7: Until I ran into the switch, which was an envelope that had belonged to Phoebe Hammond. It was a horoscope chart
9: inside. Which meant what?
7: Well, it only meant that she went in for that stuff no more until... I remembered her mentioning that her birthday was next week, which is early August.
3: And that, no doubt, puts her under the sign of the Zodiac run by one Leo the Lion. Uh Uh-huh. Yes.
9: Yes, and the manly tight-necked suit she always wore could have meant a shirt and tie underneath, minus clasp.
7: Exactly, gentlemen. That's it. Uh, now, me, Lieutenant, uh... What? Look, when you get back down to headquarters and, you you know, you start the paperwork... Yeah. Do you have to mention a guy named Judson? Angel? Uh, A guy named what? Judson A... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh, Nothing, nothing. I I, I was just thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah, that's Mm. a bad practice, Phil, you know? It's kind of like only telling a policeman half of what you know to get you in trouble. mm. Unless you're lucky. Oh, uh, give you a lift, Mr... You you already have.
7: Thanks, Lieutenant. And Phil... Good night, (laughs) Judd. When Judd and the lieutenant left, I figured I'd have a last cigarette on the terrace. Think a little about the desperate people I'd met on a night that had started out to be quiet. I found myself not smoking, not watching the early sun brighten the valley below, and not thinking about much of anything except the overturned stone flower pot that was lying next to the splendid rail where Phoebe Hammond had tripped and taken her final plunge. It was an ordinary square flower pot with an ordinary flower in it. The figure in relief on the side was a lion resting on its haunches. And you know, as I looked at it, I thought it was a little more majestic than most.
0: adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and was directed tonight by Cliff Howell. Script is by Mel Donnelly, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, D.J. Thompson, Wally Mayer, Barney Phillips, and Jerry Hosner. Lieutenant Detective Matthews is played by Larry Dotkin. The special music is written by Richard Aron. (laughs) Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with an Indian gift
7: of a piece of pottery and led to a brown bear and moccasins, an archaeologist, much laughing water, and finally, death in an alley. But just to make matters worse, the Indian giver was a female and 100% genuine hot-blooded Apache. (laughs)
0: This is Joe Walter speaking. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
4: That is The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. From August sixth, nineteen 1949, with the August Lion, starring Gerald Moore, it's heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Did you like that episode, Lisa? I liked
5: it, Carl. Yeah.
4: But Good I'm kind quality. of looking
5: forward to our next show as well. Oh yeah, information kind of waiting please. For that.
4: How about the quality? That was direct from a master CBS transcription disc. You
5: could actually tell that it it really sounded like it could have been recorded just today. Yeah, and you then, can't uh, you can't tell its age at all. That's
4: the great thing about these classic radio shows that we get because we have the master recordings, and then Mike does a um, digital restoration of that. He used he has like a toolbox of you know, these uh, no-noise things and everything, any of the little clicks and ticks and pops... He takes them right out.
5: Can you take them out of you, too?
4: <laughs> no, I've got too many clicks and ticks and I know pops you do. in my brain. All right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.
5: The proud, honorable men and women of our military are sacrificing their lives and their families for our freedom. Please take the time to remember and pray for our men and women fighting overseas. This salute, courtesy of Vizilco Architects in Chicago, where they are working hard for the future of our community. For information, call 312-755-9800. 312-755-9800. Fasilco Architects is on the air saluting our troops.
4: Uh, here's a question for you, Lisa. Yes, How many sorry. bathing suits are you going to bring on the cruise? Oh,
5: well, that's interesting. Well, you know, if I'm I mean, going seven on a cruise, day cruise. I'm going to go out and buy a new
4: swimsuit how many because that's will just you how bring? I mean, roll. I mean, what's the typical... I mean, I know you're going to bring your Louis Vuitton giant trunks <laughs> that Roger's going to be carrying. You got
5: me wrong on that. I'm a good packer. Are you? Yeah, I'm very efficient.
4: Really? Yeah. So for a week, you and Dan... Right. How many pieces of luggage on the cruise?
5: One for him and one for me.
4: One? That's it? You can yes. put all your stuff in one Absolutely. Bag? That is. You are a good packer. No, Matt.
5: I'm an excellent packer. I you, would one need, suitcase, I'm good to go.
4: I would probably need 11. Well, your clothes are bigger than mine are. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, folks, yeah, we are going on a cruise one year from now, uh, next August 2020.
5: It sounds far away.
4: It's It's August 1st of
5: 2020. So a year from August. So 13 months away, which sounds like a long time. But, you know, I was going to say we wanted to start talking about it now because we want to plan ahead and we want to make sure that we can get as many of our listeners as possible to join us. We've got a great deal. And so we've got low, low prices and it's going to be a great time. So we're hoping that you can look into it, set the dates aside. We are going to Bermuda on Oceana Cruise Line. And, uh, you can take it from my parents who were here last night. They are world travelers and world class travelers. And they, their number one choice of cruise ship is Oceana Cruises. And when I asked my dad last night why, um, what he told us was they have the best food they have the best service, and he loves the show, the entertainment every night. Yeah. Um. So we are on a top-notch cruise line. We're on Insignia, which has been completely renovated, and we're going to go to Saint George and Hamilton, two islands in Bermuda, and um, seven nights. And the price starts at eleven ninety nine per person, and that's which with is phenomenal. gratuities
4: with and gratuities, free Wi Fi. That's correct.
5: And there's this O package, and when you get to. It also includes one thing from the O package, which is either a shore excursions, a drink package, or some credit on I mean,
4: board. And it's seven nights. Imagine that. Seven nights for as low Aww. as eleven ninety nine. That includes gratuity. You'll be with us. We're going to have a cocktail party to meet and greet everyone. Then we're going to be eating together and enjoying the... Uh, The excursions together, and then we'll have like a special trivia contest one night, and then we're going to have a radio reenactment. You can be in it. It is going to be a blast.
5: And I think there's a spa and there's a casino. And I think what's so exciting to me about being on a cruise is that if you want to be running around and busy and active, there are 24-7 activities and shore excursions. And if you choose to just lay back and relax and take it all in, you can hang out at the pool or the spa um, and do you know more quiet type activities. Totally up to you. Um, but um, we're going to be there. It's going to be loads of fun. And Carl's going to be in a swimsuit. So yeah. I think that sounds. I got
4: to lose like 20.
5: <laughs> that sounds like no, it's
4: you worth mean, it he's right going here. to be in a speedo. <laughs>
6: he's going to be
5: in a speedo. What color is your speedo, Carl?
4: I, I will not be in a speedo. <laughs>
6: Guaranteed I
4: will not be in a speedo. <laughs> oh. But, you know, the weather is supposed to be like 90 at that time. It's like high 80s, low 90s in Bermuda. We take out of uh, New York. So it's going to be great. So Seven I'm going to bring
5: my sunscreen and yeah. my hats yeah, and my sunglasses. Lisa and I will be hanging at the pool pasty. with you. She
4: doesn't. She will. She will get David, there pasty. What do you
5: think about that? She'll be
4: pasty <laughs> when she gets there, and she'll be pasty when she gets back. <laughs> but uh, folks, this is a great opportunity to meet you. We'd love for you guys to be with us on this cruise. Now it's real easy to learn all about it. You can either call an eight hundred number, which Lisa will give you.
5: Yes, it's Keen Luxury Travel. They are our travel agent. So it's 800-856-1155. I'll say it one more time, 800-856-1155. Or you can go to our website, wgnradiotheater.com, scroll down, there's a cruise banner, click on it, all the information is right there.
4: Yep, Make sure you join us. It's uh, about 13 months from now, we will be sailing uh, on a wonderful cruise, Oceana Cruises, as your parents said, the best cruise line. And he said, the, and it's the best food on the seas. I the said best that already. Food. Yeah, which is important to me. I like. <laughs> I know. Good food. Every, we all like. Good I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Go on the cruise and gain. There you go. 19 more, <laughs> <laughs> at least. Uh,
3: all right. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolfe.
4: All right, we're back and it's hour two. Thanks, David. It is twelve oh nine on a Monday morning. Happy Monday morning, Lisa.
5: Happy Monday, Carl.
4: Yeah, and on this hour, information, please. Um, and this is uh, this is not where um, I don't think this is where Paula Abdul got. Well, that's
5: we were talking last night, and I said I think, think it is that or not? Paula Abdul got her inspiration for her song. From this show, do
4: you think that uh, Lisa be quiet for a second? Why? I want to see if you Does can she do say it. information. Give
5: it a please? second. Yep, you go. It's coming. One right up, It's coming. One.
4: Where? Right here.
6: There it is.
4: That is a good tune. Yeah. I, like it. I feel like dancing when I hear that song. Uh-oh. But I'm not a good dancer, so <laughs>
6: it would not be good. And people
4: do watch this show on the uh, watch. What do you go to, WGN and uh, WGN Radio and hit watch? You go to
5: WGNRadio.com? So I'm not yep.
4: going to dance then. Right, there's well, people watching this.
5: I think you should. Yeah, Do what makes you feel good, Carl. Paula
4: Abdul. Information, please. No, we're going to play an Information, Please radio show from 1938. Paula Abdul wasn't around in 1938.
5: No, she definitely was not. So
4: uh, that's coming your way in just a few minutes. But right now it's time to play our game Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? Brought to you by Cat's Pride. Yes,
5: the celebrity is Gary Sinise.
4: Oh, good pal. He was in my Bible project. Yep, I know that. He was terrific. He was David. And da- my Bible project.
5: He's a great actor. Great actor. And we are going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see Over the Tavern at Theater at the Center in Munster, Indiana. So we're going to look for caller number three. You can call right now at 312-981-7200. We'll be right back.
6: Come on, baby.
5: And we have Eileen on the phone. Hi, Eileen. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hi,
4: Eileen.
8: Well, pretty good,
4: thanks.
5: Terrific. Good. Glad you made it through. And um, is this your first time playing Real or Ridiculous? Say that again. Is oh, it? oh, yeah. Good. I'm
10: ready to play.
5: Good. Terrific. All, right, here we All go. right. And This is Gary Sinise, number one. He was awarded the Presidential Citizen Medal by Bill Clinton for work supporting the U.S. military. Real or ridiculous?
4: Uh, I believe it's real. Ah, uh, it's real.
5: Um, unfortunately, what? he was awarded that tricky. medal, but it was from George
8: W. Bush. Yeah,
4: tricky she is. It was not she Bill very Clinton. Tricky.
5: So close, though. You were both very close. Uh, number two, the first film he directed, produced, and starred in was Apollo 13. Real or ridiculous?
4: What do you think? Mm, I don't think so. All right. Um, so what's the question? He started The first
5: in? film that he directed, produced, and starred in no, was Apollo absolutely thirteen. Absolutely
4: not. Ridiculous.
5: It is ridiculous. Do you know what it was?
4: Um Yes. Um of Mice and Men. That
5: is correct. Huh? Nice job. Extra half a point.
4: <laughs> not bad, huh, Lisa? Not bad, not uh, You're bad. even impressed with yeah, that. Yeah, I
5: actually am. Okay, <laughs> it's hard to impress you. says it is. <laughs> in 2004, he began his first regular television series in the crime drama CSI New York.
4: What do you think, Eileen?
8: Uh, I'm guessing, okay, that's just... Yes.
4: Real? Okay, I'm gonna agree with Eileen and say real.
5: That is real, you are both absolutely right. And we learned something tonight about Not Gary that. Sinise and you are the big winner Eileen you have won a pair of tickets to over the tavern it's at theater at the center in Munster Indiana it's playing through August 11th it's a really hot show i'm hearing great things about it i hope you enjoy the show you can check it out at theateratthecenter.com and i know you're going to love it they do wonderful productions there
4: okay Way terrific to go, thank you
5: thanks for calling you're welcome. in welcome
4: thank you very much all right She's a big winner. Our text in line, 312-981-7200. That's a number to reach us. We're here for another 45 minutes. And right now it is time for information, please. <laughs> Good one, Carl. <Kyle. laughs> I can't go as high as Paula Abdul. No. This was a quiz show, Lisa. came to radio in 1938, lasted all the way to 1951, and throughout the entire run it was moderated by Clifton Fadiman. And there was a panel of experts who would attempt to answer questions that were submitted by the listeners. This was, this was a really interesting idea. Yes. Listeners would submit questions For the panelists, and they didn't get the questions ahead of time, but these were, like, super smart people. Like, they were, like, clones of Lisa Wolf, Right. You know, every one of them. Exactly. Same. Listeners received money if their question was used, and additional money... If the panelists were not able to answer their questions right. correctly. You're going to be amazed at how many they do get though.
5: And I honestly feel like this would work on the radio too. It would. Right now.
4: And there are, uh, the panel regulars included writer, actor, pianist Oscar Levan. He was like, a genius this guy and then renowned intellects Franklin P Adams and John Kieran now each show would also include a guest panelist usually a celebrity or a and politician Amari, that yeah kind of like thing. A, like a, you know classic radio host <laughs> uh, it transitioned to TV for one season in 1952 i think you will enjoy this it's a lot of fun let's go back to July 5th 1938 which was the first year it was on the air here's part 1 now of information please
3: Information, please.
1: (laughs) Wake up, Mr. and Mrs. America. Time to stump the experts. Why not join the rest of the great American public that is doing its best to upset our mental giants? Here's how to get into this question-and-answer game. Send us questions and the correct answers, if acceptable, time during each broadcast. Any question accepted will win $2 for the person who submits it. Any question the experts cannot answer will win an extra $5. The contest will be refereed by our Master of Ceremonies, Mr. Clifton Fadiman, literary critic of the New Yorker magazine. Clifton Fadiman. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Our quartet is here, bright and early. Well, early anyway. And now I'll call the roll. Mr. Franklin P. Adams... Columnist of the New York Post, do you swear to tell us all you know and nothing that you don't know? I uh, sure do. John Curran, sports writer of the New York Times, do you guarantee not to tell us all you know? If possible. Marcus Duffield, day news editor of the New York Herald Tribune, do you promise to be our court of first and last resort on all questions and current events, foreign affairs, etc I hope. Well, folks, that's three experts in the bags. And the fourth, our guest of honor this evening, is Oscar Levant, well-known composer, creator of the score of many successful motion pictures, including The Awful Truth and Nothing Sacred, and finally, holder of a subterranean reputation as a Broadway and Hollywood wit. Just relax, Mr. Levant. There, there. there. Feeling all right now?
6: Apoclectic.
1: Thank you. now, folks, remember that this quartet has not seen these questions in advance. This is an informal, spontaneous, unrehearsed program. Questions will be addressed to the entire board. Any member who wishes to may raise his hand and take a whack at the question. It must be answered by one member, except where it's composed of more than two parts, in which case the board may cooperate. But if any part is answered incorrectly, five dollars is forfeited. When you hear that cash register sound, that means five dollars is actually being paid out to the lucky question. Now, in just another moment, uh... Uh, that's, just, uh, that's just Mr. Adams filing a wisecrack for future use. <laughs>
6: All
1: set, brain trust? Very well. Let's go. The first question is a musical one. It comes from Mrs. F.C. Walsh, 31096 38th Street, Long Island City. What performers helped to make the following songs famous? I have six of them, and you have to list four out of five. I'm going to read the title of the song, and we'll have a few bars. Uh, played from it. The first is, I Don't Care. Mr. Levant, who made it famous? Eva Tangler. That's quite correct. Number two, Shine On, Harvest Moon. That's very pretty, too. Mr. Levant. Nora and Jack Norworth. Good, 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 good. Very good. You're doing very well, Mr. Levant. Three, Silent Night. Mr. Duffield. schumann Hank. That's correct. How did you get in on this musical stuff? Amazing. It no, 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 no. surprises me as much as it does you.
6: Dang
1: <laughs> Four, roll them roly poly eyes. Mm-hmm. Mr. LeBan. Eddie Leonard. Pretty good. Five, but definitely.
0: Yeah, I think we've got them there. Charlie Temple.
1: Good, Mr. LeVamp, that's correct. And one more, when my baby smiles at me. Ted Lewis. Ted Lewis for Mr. LeVamp, that's quite correct. Sure takes brings us back to the old days, doesn't it, Mr. LeVanth? Not very old. You don't think so? You don't feel yourself getting sentimental?
0: Charlie Temple.
1: Shirley Temple. <laughs> We have no time for sentiment this evening. Let's rush on to question number two, which comes from Mr. Harold Lampell, 315 East Susquehanna Street, Allentown, P.H. Question. Explain the following slang terms used generally by baseball players. There are four of them. One is dunker, strawberry, jockey, rock. I have the unenviable distinction <laughs> of not knowing the meaning of a single one of them. Uh, uh, Mr. Kieran, I knew you'd be right uh, there on the dot. <laughs> dunker.
11: A dunker, I, I have to use gestures. A dunker is a top ball hit by a batter that goes over the infield and suddenly dunks itself into the grass in the outfield. It's another <laughs> name for a Texas league.
1: Ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience, he's been using gestures all along. I'm sorry that I can't uh, transcribe them over the uh, radio for you. The next is Strawberry. Why, uh, Strawberry is a nice red mark
11: uh, gained by a player in uh, hurling himself along the ground to... Reach a base.
1: Bruise from sliding, it says on my phone. <laughs> uh,
6: that's correct. Uh, jockey.
1: A uh, uh, jockey is a
11: wisecracker in a baseball uniform uh, speaking from the bench.
1: That's correct. And finally, rock.
11: A rock is another name for a serious
1: error such as I have often made here. Yes, do you remember you did make a serious error last week? Uh, I, we have uh, 724 letters coming to us from all parts of the known inhabitable globe, Mr. Kieran, about the error you made in connection with Johnny Allen.
11: That was a rock of the purest granite. Uh,
1: yeah, Serene. <laughs> do you remember that the game in which Johnny Allen uh, played was played in what town and not what other town? Was played in? Was played in Boston. And you said? I was exhibited naked to the blushes of eternity. (laughs) Highly fallible, folks. Highly fallible is Mr. (laughs) Curran. Now, Mr. Curran, all I want to know from you is the Latin name of a Nicaraguan screech owl with a yellow (laughs) tail feather. He doesn't know, folks. He doesn't know. We'll go on to the next question. From Harold B. Dent, 319 Hamilton Avenue, Patterson, New Jersey. Name three sets of fathers and sons who have held high positions in the United States government. Three sets of fathers and sons who have held high positions in the United States government. Volunteers on that. Mr. Let's, let's start with John Quincy Adams and then think of a while. His, uh, yes? His father was Samuel Adams. No, that I'm afraid oh, is wrong. Oh, 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 oh. Huh? The father of John Quincy Adams was John Adams. Oh, so he was. So he was. <laughs> Hold that register for a while. Uh, how about another set? That's wrong so far.
11: Mr. Kearer. Well, could you count the uh, uh, two Roosevelts, two Teddy Roosevelt's in it? One yes. was President of the United States, the other was Governor General of Puerto Rico and the Philippine Islands.
1: That's correct. And uh, one more.
0: How about the uh, Clark Boys?
1: The Clark Boys? Very good. Can you name them, Mr. Levant? They were both Champs, weren't they? I don't... Uh, one was Champ, and one uh, is Bennett Champ. Well, we got two out of three, but I'm afraid that little error is going to cost us $5, Mr. Duffield. Now, there are a couple of others you might have mentioned. Uh, uh, the La Follette's, of course, the Morgenthau's, the Wallaces, and there are a whole crowd of Harrisons scattered through our history. How about the Bagby's? Uh, who, uh, Mr. Levant? The Bagbies. The Bagbies? Who are the Bagbies? <laughs> I think he made it up. No. Uh, baseball <laughs> pitchers. That's
6: right.
1: Oh, they occupy the United States government. Certainly. We'll put that in the next question. <laughs> uh, from Mr. John C. Kingston, 3809 Hamilton Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania comes this very simple question. According to Omar Khayyam, what four things would be sufficient to transform the wilderness into a paradise? Now, you have to get all four of them. Mr. Adams. Mr. Adams. Can't think of four. Mr. Kieran. Uh,
11: book of Verses. A jug of wine, a That's loaf two, of bread,
1: cream. and, not you,
11: thou.
6: Thou. That's right. <laughs> Besides
1: Retrieve your reputation, Mr. Kerrin. very nicely indeed. Uh, here's another one on a musical subject from Mr. Harold S. Oikel, 39 Goldthwaite Street, Lynn, Massachusetts. Name a famous piece of symphonic music that was written on five of the following six subjects. Now, we have to get five out of the following six. First subject, a graveyard frolic. Can you think of a famous piece of symphonic music written about a graveyard frolic, we'll get on to uh, a jollier subject a later on. Mr. Levan, any ideas on that? That is a tough one. I'm dead.
6: <laughs>
1: Mr. Levan can't see through that one. I can hardly pronounce the name of the man who wrote... the uh, this thing called Danse Macabre? Oh. Saint-Saëns?
6: saint
1: Saint-Sin. Saint-Sin. Something like Saint-Saëns. Uh, two. No, oh, we got one wrong. Uh, who wrote, uh, a famous piece of symphonic music on Napoleon? Beethoven. Beethoven, what was the name of the piece? The Heroic Symphony. That's correct, Mr. Levant. Uh, A Day in the Country, Mr. Levant. Got any ideas on that one? Uh, Beethoven. Uh, what's the name of these? Pastoral Symphony. symphony. That's correct. Uh, for a picture gallery. Uh... Uh, this is still Mr. Levant, doing very nicely. I was wrong twice in my mind. Wait a minute. It doesn't count if you're wrong in your mind, as long as you don't say it. Uh, what's that, a day in the picture gallery? Uh, just a picture gallery. It doesn't say how long. A
0: day in the, <laughs> a day in the country. I like that. A picture gallery. Want to come oh, back to that? Yeah, I, I have it someplace.
1: All right, oh, he got it someplace. A railroad train, Mr. Levant. Honiger. Specific, some number. I forgot the number. <laughs> well, you don't have to give us a number. Two, three, one. Thank you. Adds up to six. Very easy to remember. Uh, a Great Lover. Uh, Don Juan. By Richard Strauss, that's correct. And now, how about that picture gallery? Come on, let's have that picture gallery, Mr. Levant. It Anybody else? <laughs> Mr. Adams? Mr. Kieran, oh. you say you don't know who wrote. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Mosowski. Right? That's correct. <laughs> Pictures in an exhibition. That's correct. Completely unrehearsed, folks. Completely unrehearsed. (laughs) It just got by in the skin of your teeth, Mr. Levant. Pretty good, though. The next one is from Lewis Martin, 1731 California Street, San Francisco, California. Explain four of the following political phrases. There are five altogether. First, dark horse. Mr. Duffy, let's have that. Dark horse is a candidate that uh,
11: nobody thinks will win, and uh, suddenly he turns out to win.
1: That's correct. Uh, Kitchen cabinet.
11: Kitchen cabinet of the confidential advisors of the president. Correct.
1: Log rolling? Log rolling. You, Pat, you uh, vote for my bill and I'll vote for you, your bill. More or less that, yes. Uh, pork barrel?
11: That's getting post offices for the hometown. Uh,
1: well, that, that, that's it in a most, uh, very specific way, yes. Would you uh, say legislative appropriation of money for projects of questionable value, which is the definition I, I just know. made up?
6: <laughs>
1: and five fat cats? Fat cat. Yeah, that's a tough one, fat cat. sounds like baseball. Go ahead, Mr. Keeran. <laughs> Mr. Kieran, don't you know fat cat? Well, you know about natural history. What's the matter with your behavior? See, I think a fat cat is probably an angel. Yes, it is an a angel. A politician.
4: Uh, well, what does he do? What does this angel do?
1: A heavy contributor to the campaign. That's time. correct. Got five out of five, Mr.
4: Very interesting show, Information Please, July 5th, 1938. It started on radio in May of 1938, so it was only on just uh, two months. Yeah, um, a brand new show. Yeah, Clifton, Fadim- Clifton Fadiman as the moderator. Uh, very interesting. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. 508, that's early in the morning. It sure is. Oh my gosh. By the time I get here, I take a shower and everything, go to bed, I'm just like closing my eyes around that time. It's just a different I'll schedule. The, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it in the morning.
5: Yeah, I bet you I'll, will. <laughs> I'll actually be
4: sleeping by 5.08. I would hope so.
3: Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf.
4: It's such pleasant music, isn't it? It's a like very. Ba-ding. And uh David, thank you for the news and uh and
5: David, it's good to have you yes. with us all evening. Yeah, it's nice. Or morning. It's How are you doing? Un-
4: it's unusual for this shift for me. Yeah, yeah I know. I haven't done this
2: a long time.
4: But you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. We're enjoying having you with and, us. absolutely. It's twelve thirty six in the morning on a Monday morning. We are listening to Information Please, Clifton Fadiman as host. Let's get back to it right now.
1: boys are coming through very well tonight. I'm very proud of them. Next one, from Mr. W.K. Payne, Meadowbridge, Washington, Connecticut. According to Shakespeare, identified as Mr. Adams' favorite author, according to Shakespeare, men were deceivers ever. Recollect that, uh, Mr. Adams? Men were deceivers ever. From other sources, quote, two more literary selections uncomplimentary to man. Two more literary selections or quotations uncomplimentary to man.
11: Man the unknown?
1: <laughs> Man the lifeboat. Come, oh, oh. <laughs> come. Trouble is, folks, that I'm about 18 feet away from Mr. Adams, and I can exercise nothing but moral suasion. Man was made to mourn. Yes, but do you think that's uncomplimentary, necessary? Very.
6: You think that's
1: very uncomplimentary? Yes. What's the source of it? Robert Burns. I don't know. It may be correct. I
6: don't
1: know. Uh, I'll accept that unless I get something better. Let's have another one. Another literary selection. Uncomplimentary demand. Do you mean it says none of you know about uh, poetry that's uncomplimentary to man? We wouldn't. How would we know that? We got women last week, didn't we? Yes, and you can't have the same sex every week.
3: How about man is the dog's best friend? <laughs> that was Mr. Levan.
1: Mr. LeVant, I'm sorry, can't accept that. Gonna make you stick to music. One more. One more. If not, I'll have to supply mean,
11: a... Just one more. Uh...
1: Yes, sure, Mr. Kieran. Just one more. Mr. Adams.
3: A man was the cause of it all.
6: <laughs>
3: now, folks, what would you do if you were in my place? That's right. That's the end of a song. By whom? begins, uh, she was more to be pitied than censured.
6: That's
1: correct. I suppose it is uncomplimentary. Well, we just about... For 40 cents, by. I'd sing it. <laughs> 40 cents? Anybody here got 40 cents? No, nobody has 40 cents. Well, I have some very good uh, quotations, which I'm now going to read. About rats and snails and puppy dogs' tails. That's what little boys are made of. Isn't that a good
6: one?
1: Mr. Adams doesn't like that. The more I see of men, the better I like dogs. That's what you were thinking of, Mr. The man. I like mine better. He likes it better. Man's inhumanity to man makes countless millions or thousands or Found ten thousands. thousands more. And that's from whom, Mr. Kear? Byrne. Yes. Well, now, remember man but was made time, to mourn. He sticks <laughs> to <the> man. <laughs> <away from him. laughs> that knows one quotation, and he sticks to it.
6: <laughs> the
1: next quotation, the uh, next question from Mr. Harry Snyderman, 7254 Summers Road, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Very heavy mail from Pennsylvania this week. Question. Can you explain what five of the following are? Now, uh, I think there are one, two, three, four, five, six words. Here are the words. I'll read them very rapidly. Piffle, whiffle, sniffle, yapple, snapple, ripple. Uh, tiger. <laughs> what did you say, Mr. Adam? And a tiger. Yes, and a tiger.
6: <laughs> now,
1: we'll start from the beginning. We'll go very slowly. <clears throat> piffle. What's piffle, Mr. Kierkegaard.
11: Persiflage. Kidding around with words. What was that first word? Persiflage. <laughs> Persiflage.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
1: How much did you pay for that one, Mr. Kieran? That's correct for Pipple. Uh, Whipple. W-H-I, uh, Whipple.
11: Whipple is the front part of a Whipple tree. Oh,
1: no, no, no. No, Mr. Kieran. I'm instructed by the boss Whiffles not Whipples, what it. you have with maple syrup.
6: That was Mr. Adams, I'm
1: sorry. That was...
11: What's the next one? How about skipping that? No,
1: we have to get whiffle. Whiffle? Whiffle while you work or something? (laughs)
6: It's getting
1: worse and worse. I think I will go on to the next one. A whiffle, as a matter of fact, is a small flute or fife, or it is a puff of breath, or it means to vacillate. And, of course, it is the first part of the word tree. but it is not a complete word in itself. Not from that point of view. The next one is sniffle. What's the sniffle? (laughs) <laughs> like it's a sound effect, ladies and gentlemen, hey, a by Mr. Curran Yes, Mr. Curran
11: Well, it's a sharp intaking of the breath through the nasal passages Yes, that's, yeah, that's right
6: <laughs> Not
1: this first of stuff, though And a yaffle A Curran? <laughs> a, a yaffle? Yeah, a yaffle, you know what
11: a yaffle, a yaffle is A is an English bird that has a name like a yaffle, but... A
1: well, don't be so
6: aggressive
11: about it. That's perfectly correct. <laughs> perfectly correct. Uh, snaffle. Oh,
1: a snaffle? Mr. Kieran again. A uh,
11: snaffle is part of the head harness of, uh, of a noble animal called the horse. Good. And finally, ripple. R-I-F-F-L-E. Oh, ripple. Well, uh, there are several definitions for that word. You can ripple a deck of cards, or okay. there are ripples on, uh, on uh, small streams and uh, brooks and. <laughs> That's <and>, ripple. <laughs> well, there are also ripples.
1: And uh, Don't you like that, Mr. Adams?
11: He no. Mr. Adams doesn't like it.
1: Mr. Adams is in a very bad mood this evening. Uh, any one of those definitions for ripple is correct, and that gives us five out of the six. So uh, that's correct. <laughs> now, the total penalties are only $5, not getting the boys down this evening at all. They're too bright, far, far too bright. Let's go. This one comes from Mr. William Reynolds of Chicago, Illinois. Who are the girls and boys referred to in the following songs? There are five songs altogether. One, if she walks like a sly little rogue, if she talks with a cute little brogue, sweet personality, full of rascality. Who is it? Who is it, boys? Who is it? Hard stuff. I don't know. Mr. Levasseur doesn't know. But you like the poetry, don't you, Mr. No. That's uh, doesn't even like the poetry. That's corn. Don't like it. It's corny, you say. Yeah. See if we can get the right answer all the same. I'm uh, musical criticism. You're not here to give us musical criticism, Mr. LeVant. Mr. Kieran, who is this uh, person who walks like a sly little rogue? Talks with a cute little brogue?
11: Never met the lady. Don't know. <laughs> Mr.
1: Adams. My mother.
6: <laughs> I admire your
1: mother, Mr.
4: Adams, but I will
1: not accept that answer. Why, gentlemen, that's Peggy O'Neill. One wrong. Two, she's my sweetheart, I'm her beau. Who, who, uh, Mr. Garrett. Annie. Annie Rooney, and, uh, who's the beau? I, uh, Joe, whatever it yes, is. Yes, sure, not That's you, Joe. Joe. That's correct. Three, I don't mind telling you I took my girl to Q. and... I'll repeat that. I don't mind telling you I took my girl to Q. How does it go on? It's a tough one. Well, even Mr. Duffield doesn't know that. Fact practically a current event. And Emma was the darling creature's name. Oh, Emma. Any of you remember that now? Whoa, Emma. Yeah, whoa. Oh, All <laughs> right,
6: whoa.
1: <laughs> Too wrong. Or she's the only g girl that I adore. Mr. Keira. Katie. Yes, say it right. k k k k That's very good. They swore to be true to each other, true as the stars above. Mr. Duffy.
11: First one I've known, Frankie and John.
1: That's right. But unfortunately, that's going to cost us $5 going to Mr. Reynolds of Chicago, Illinois. Next, from uh, Anna Paul of Miami, Florida. The following are famous remarks by famous men. Now, I think you ought to get all of these, boys. These are very well known remarks by very well known men. All I want you to do is name the man. One. Let's look at the record. Volunteers. Mr. Levant.
0: Al Smith. Correct.
1: All I know is what I see in the paper. Mr. Duffield. Will Rogers. I'll be back in a flash with a flash. Mr. Levan. Winchell. Very good. I do not choose to run. Mr. Kieran. Mr. Coley. There's a sucker born every minute. Mr. Mr. Kieran. Mr. Phineas T. Barnum. Correct. Walk softly and carry a big stick. Uh, Mr. Duffield. Theodore Roosevelt. That's correct. Let us return to normalcy. Mr. Adams. W. G. Harding. Very good. I am going through on this line if it takes all summer. Mr. Adams.
3: U.S. Grant. Correct.
1: The next. <laughs> this is a funny question from uh, Mr. M.M. Weed, 1180 West 28th Street, Los Angeles, California. What imaginary characters or folklore characters used the following means of locomotion? Now, we figure you ought to get all of these. One. A pea-green boat. Mr. Kieran. The
11: owl and the pussycat. Yes,
1: that's old natural history Kieran again. Uh, two, a raft. What imaginary characters, characters in fiction? Used. A raft. Mr. Duffield. Sharon crossing the River Styx. Yes, I think he did. Uh, Huckleberry Finn, I think might be a better answer. Three, a locomotive. Casey Jones. Good, and that was Mr. Kieran. Uh, four, a tumbril. Cumbrill. French Revolution. Yes, French Revolution is correct, Mr. Levant. Just keep going, keep going. Make those associations. What uh, book? Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities, of Two Cities correct. Uh, Sidney Carton. Five, A Flying Carpet. Oh, uh, Arabian Nights. Yes. Uh, what character? Uh, Douglas Fairbanks. Douglas
6: Fairbanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct, Mr. Levant.
1: I guess you'd call him a folklore character. Uh, six, a chariot. Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, Mr. Levant, coming to the fore again. And seven, a canoe. Hiawatha. They both knew that. Mr. Kieran, and Mr. Levant are shaking each other's hands. The first expression of friendliness I've seen this evening. The next is for Mrs. Mary Stern of Denver, Colorado. Oh, I think this is up your alley, Mr. Adams. Sorry. <clears throat> Complete the following famous limerick. At beauty... At beauty, Mr. Adams... I just put in the Mr. Adams. At beauty, I am not a star. There are people more handsome by far. My face, I don't mind it. You see, I'm behind it. It's the people in front...
3: ...that I jar.
6: That's correct.
3: (laughs) Incidentally, that was supposed to be Wilson's favorite limery. Yes, and was it? It was, and it's no good. Put that down, folks. <laughs>
6: Mr. Adams says it's no good.
1: Next question is from Brendan Noble, 586 Delaware, Buffalo, New York. Name a famous character in fiction who has become identified with each of the following traits. There are five traits altogether. One, a canting hypocrite. Who is a canting hypocrite, famous character in uh, fiction? Uriah, Uriah Heep. <laughs> uh, Mr. Kerr and Mr. Adams helping each other out. That would be correct. Uh, Pecksniff or Tartuffe uh, would also be accepted, would they not, Mr. Kerr?
11: Yes, sir.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Two, a miser Uriah Heep.
6: <laughs> <laughs> no, stick to I...
1: Heep. No, I don't think Uriah Heep would uh, get by as a miser. Silas Marner. Silas Marner is correct, yes. Or the miser in Moliere's famous play of that name. Uh. Three, the ever hopeful down and outer. Now, uh, don't answer all at once. The ever hopeful down and outer. Mr. Curie. Mr. McCauver. Mr. McCauver is correct. for the charlatan. A charlatan.
11: Scapin. Who? Well, Scapin, one of the characters in, uh, well, Molière's uh, Les Four de Monsieur Scapin. That's
1: pretty good. You're only using two languages this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think that would be very good. Very good answer. Another one would be uh, get rich quick, Wallingford, perhaps. Or O'Henry's a gentle grafter. Mr. Adams, you knew that one, didn't you? No, yep. O'Henry's a gentle grafter. And the last. All my time. <laughs> last, the scheming woman. or a scheming woman. Mr. Adams. Becky Sharp. Becky Sharp is correct. One of many. <laughs> That was pretty bitter, Mr. Adams. <laughs> I hope nobody heard you. Uh, the next is from Miss Molly Wiener, 79th Street, New York City. Name the composers of three of the following hot numbers. And there are four all together. Firebird. Stravinsky. That was Mr. Levant. We'll stick to you, Mr. Levant, for a while. Firefly.
0: C- uh, Fremel. Rudolf Fremel. Correct.
1: Fire Music.
0: Wagner. Correct.
1: And Fire Dance.
0: Uh... You're
1: all right. Three out of four. You've, you've got to. You're okay. Velvet. Defire? Defire is correct. Uh, just off the record, Mr. Levant, did uh, Debussy write something called Fireworks for For the piano. For the piano? Yeah. I knew that. That's the only one I knew. <laughs> Penalties so far, only $10. They're doing too well this evening. $10. $10 lost. The next one's from Miss Maria Russo, St. Paul, Minnesota. Which does not belong with the others of this group? Silver fin, silver king, silver sprig, silver sides, silver gar. I'm awfully tired of saying silver. (laughs) Now, which of the following, which doesn't belong in that group? Say it over again. All right. Which does not belong with the others of this group? Silver fin, silver king, silver sprig, silver sides, Silver Gar, Gars G A R. Mr. Adams. Silver King. What is the Silver King? It's a golf ball.
6: <laughs> Goodness <laughs> gracious me. <geez. laughs>
1: I've never been up anything like that before.
6: Nope.
1: Won't accept it. Won't accept it. It is a golf ball,
6: though. <laughs> now
1: don't you stick with him, Mr. Duffield, if you boys are going to play together. Mr. Kieran, don't you know that? Well, the correct answer... One of them ain't a fish. Is that a big pardon? One of them is not a fish. Well, that is correct. One of them is not a fish, Mr. Adams. I'm going to give you a special entree now. Which of them is not a fish? Silver king. Well, that is absolutely wrong. The answer is silver sprig. A silver sprig is a common rabbit with a silver-colored pelt, and all the rest are kinds of fish. In fact, Mr. Adams, it may be said that you missed that one by a hair. Uh, they didn't like that, folks. Now, the total penalties, and I'm afraid that's all we'll have time for this evening, run to $15. Thank you, all members of the board and all the folks that have submitted questions. And so now Mr. Cross has a word for you about next week's contest. Good night, everybody, and come again. Thank you, Mr. Fatterman. We will meet again next week at 8.30 for another quiz contest between the public and the experts. The board of experts for next week will include Franklin P. Adams, John Kieran, Bernard Jaffe, and our guest will be Quincy Howe, publicist, editor, and author of England Expects Every
0: American to Do His Duty.
4: That is information, please, from July 5th, 1938. Host Clifton Fadiman, hope you enjoyed that. Interesting program.